Well, let's all stand up together. Good to see you. Uh, I don't know who the preacher's been on Wednesday nights. <laughs> By video, yeah, because I didn't want to break the momentum of Romans. But my thanks to Pastor Sonny and, uh, for doing two great Sundays. And um, Jonathan, who I understand peeled the paint off the wall, did a good job. But it's so good to be back. Amen. Go ahead and give him a hand. Um, but we, we took a, a couple of weeks, uh, really a little under three weeks, and um, went to Florida. Now, in Florida, I went there the whole time. We were in Florida a week. But while I was there, I decided that I would wade out into the water. Uh, now, Florida is shark-infested. You do know that. It's very shark-infested. But I'm not afraid of sharks, never have been. Maybe that's stupid, but I just never had a shark fear, shark phobia. Um, so I decided to, to wait out. Now, this is not a shark story. I don't even know why I went into all that. Because Cindy was telling me, you ought not go out there in that shark-infested water. And I said, well, I'm just going to wait out. Well, in waiting out, I, I, of course, I had shorts on, a bathing suit on. And so uh, um, I sort of just stepped a little bit. And you know how it can suddenly sink. And I came back out and kept on walking and enjoyed it and went back. I didn't realize that when I went down a little bit, my glasses that were in my pocket jumped ship. (laughs) And I didn't know it. I did not know it until I got all the way back to the hotel room and um, went to read. I said, man, where's my glasses? Anyway, long story short, I realized, uh uh-oh. They're in the deep blue. So I started believing for the fish miracle. You know, Jesus said, Peter, go put a hook in and bring in the fish, and there you pay your taxes with it. Well, I just knew that a fish was going to come up, a shark or anything, with my glasses and say, here you go, Wickwire. Next time, be careful. But it didn't happen. So tonight, I am going by faith and not by (laughs) No pun intended. Anyway. Uh, I think we're going to make it, but um, anyway, it's good to be back, and we're going to finish Romans with Romans chapter 16 tonight, and it's good to see all of you, and um, it feels really, really good to be home. Let me tell you, there is no place like home, and um, listen, this is my home away from home, and um, to me, this is a home, and I don't know if it is to you, but to me, it's a home. I mean, it's where I come fellowship, it's where I you know, get with the brethren, and, and uh, it's just where I just feel like family is. Amen? Uh, because, you know, the, the, the blood-bought family of Jesus Christ is even tighter than a regular family, because we're all in this together, and we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and so it's all good. But tonight, we're going to look at the humanity of Paul, uh, because uh, he's going to be talking about friends and acquaintances, and uh, he had a, just a huge heart of love for people. Uh, he practiced what he preached when he said, listen, if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Be sure that what you do, you do in love. Jesus himself said, um, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples by how you fight with one another, by how you have discord with one No, by how you love one another. Well, Paul walked in love, so we're going to see that tonight. And so let's pray. Father, we just thank you for it. Uh, the word of God. 
We thank you that you've got something wonderful for us tonight as we finish this incredible, powerful book of Romans. Thank you that, Lord, you are with us, that you're going to open the word to us, you're going to speak to us and edify us in the faith. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And I want to welcome all of you that are watching online. Good to have you with us. And uh, God bless you as you watch. And I'm believing the same Holy Spirit that's here is going to be there. Amen. Now, uh, this is chapter 16, the last chapter of Romans. And we're calling it Love's Many Contacts. Because Paul had a lot of connections. He was, we would today call him a major networker. Uh, he was a networker, and there, there wasn't social media, there were no phones, there were no iPhones, there, there were nothing, but he was a major networker. And so he's going to mention, are you ready for this, 21 people. And you know what my study was today? My study today was trying to figure out how to pronounce a bunch of them, okay? So, but let's look at it. As we come to the close of Romans, we see that Paul was a man with many friends, His great heart embraced all the people of God, and his love for them provoked him to take a keen interest in them. Every contact that Paul made was a potential friend, and Paul made a lot of contacts. He had a lot of friends. Now, this final chapter, as I was sharing with you just a moment ago, reveals the humanity of Paul. Now, we've we've seen that he is a theologian unmatched, right? Uh, Unmatched. Nobody has moved in deeper theological waters than Paul, next to Jesus Christ. Nobody. But now we're going to see that the great theologian and the brilliant mind also had a huge heart for people. He wasn't just an egghead, right? So, um, this master theologian whose spiritual understanding and brilliant mind went where none other beside Christ himself has ever gone, loved people. And he forged great friendships. He hurt like we hurt. You can hear it sometimes. Are you ready? Demas forsook me. Everybody in Asia forsook me. You can hear the pain. You can hear the pathos. You can hear um, the hurt. He hurt like you and me. But you note, He didn't let it knock him out of the saddle, get him out of church. He didn't walk around offended with a chip on his shoulder. He forgave, and he moved on down the road. You know why? Because his thought was, nobody is worth my call in God. Okay? So, uh, he felt rejection like we have, and he cared very much about maintaining the relationships that God had given him. So, in a day and age with no phones, computers, technology, Paul was able to keep in contact with the church universal on an amazing scale. He knew many of the Christian leaders by name. They were all down in his prayer book. He's always saying, I've mentioned you. I've made mention of you in my prayers. Um, And now he checks them off one by one as his letter comes to a close. 26 people, I said 21, I was wrong. 26 people are mentioned. It's very instructive to take note of the brief descriptions given by by Paul about his friends because with every friend he mentions, he's going to say a little something about them that gives us an insight into the character they had 
and character that we might want to cultivate ourselves. In other words, he's going to, he's going to look for the good and he's going to brag on it. He's going to bring it out. He's going to highlight it. So the first person he mentions is a woman named Phoebe. And here's what he says in verse 1, chapter 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Now, it was a very wise custom in the early church. I wish we still had it today, what I'm about to go into. Uh, it still is practiced in some circles today, mainly denominational churches. And that was this, to furnish believers leaving one locality or one fellowship for another with letters of recommendation, letters of commendation uh, to the church in the new vicinity. And that's what they would do. Um, they would send, you know, if somebody said, hey, I'm, I'm moving to another town. I'm going to be going to the church at Philippi instead of the church at Rome. So uh, the leaders would do a little letter, and the letter would be um, um, saying, this person is good. They love God. They're solid. Receive them. Like he just said here, receive Phoebe. You can receive them safely into the fellowship. All right? We don't do that anymore. Uh, charismatic churches, non-denominational churches, people, church hop, they, it's almost like a church merry-go-round, and they're not you, you guys are here, so I'm not talking about you, so don't worry. But uh, I've been around a, a long time, and I've pastored now for 38 years, and I've seen um, people just church hop. And when they land in a new church, uh, nobody asks, where'd you come from, why'd you leave? Um, they have no way of knowing what they did, who they were, what their walk is all about. And not just for safety or just for a little heads up purpose, but also because you can have people that, that leave right and they're very gifted and, and they can be a great addition to a church, but the pastor never knows it. It takes him a long time to find it out because there's no letter sent. So instead of all the churches being connected in some ways, where, you know, if somebody new comes here and they come from a church down the street, I'm sent something, I'm told something about them so I can know, oh, good, they come, they come with great recommendations. But flip side is, you could receive a, a letter from a church saying, this person in our church was very divisive. Be careful. And that would give us a heads up. But instead, people hop around with impunity, and they'll go to several different churches in, in a couple of years' time, a few years' time, and there's no accountability, just none. Anyway, that's free. That's not in my notes. But, but this is what Paul is saying. They practice sending a letter of commendation. 2 Corinthians 3.1, he talks about it. He says, are we beginning, now he's talking about himself, this is Paul, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? He's saying, of all people that don't need a letter of recommendation, it's me and my team. Because you know that we're apostles to the church. So this practice assured for the traveler 
a friendly reception in the strange city that they were uh, going, uh, moving to. And, um, and, and it just kind of made things smoother when they stepped into a new church. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses to describe Phoebe's ministry means a patroness or a protectress. Uh, Phoebe had been a valuable assistant, even a protector to many. She had served as a deaconess in the church at Sancria. So yes, there are deacons and there are deaconettes. Amen? Um, however, here's what there's not. There's not pastors and pastorettes. Okay? There's not senior pastors that are... The Bible does not put its seal of approval on a female senior pastor. It just doesn't. I didn't write it. The Holy Ghost wrote it, but it doesn't. But deacons, oh yeah, deaconettes, you got it. Um, and here he's bragging on Phoebe, saying she was a real incredible help to me. As we mentioned at the beginning of this series, while at Corinth, Paul heard that a woman named Phoebe, an active member of the church at nearby Sancria, was planning a visit to the city of Rome. I'll write you a letter of commendation to the saints at Rome, Phoebe, he said to her, and he did. The Christian skeptic, now please get this, everybody, this is so important, because I want you to know, this woman, Phoebe, Oh my, listen to what we're about to read. Uh, the Christian skeptic Renan is credited with saying that when Phoebe sailed away from Corinth, she carried beneath the folds of her robe the whole future of Christian theology. And he was right because she was carrying the book of Romans from Corinth to Rome. Whoa, you could give me, I'm telling you, a carnival cruise ship made of pure gold, filled with pure gold, uh, and it wouldn't come close, not, not infinitesimally close to what she carried in that letter to Rome. We've been studying it for 16 weeks. Literally, the Christian theology the major tenets of christian theology are in that letter and she carried it probably not realizing that 20 centuries from then we would be studying it and it would literally rock the world amen wow now next in paul's list are priscilla and aquila uh, verses three to five greet priscilla and aquila my fellow workers in christ jesus they risked their lives for me not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house, Priscilla and Aquila. Now, uh, some people say Aquila. It's not Aquila. It's like, uh, it's like uh, what is that hotel chain? Um, Quinta, La Quinta. There are people who say, no, it's La Quinta. I say, no, it's Quinta. No, it's La Quinta. And I said, I'm telling you, it's La Quinta. People say, it's not Aquila, it's Aquila. And I say, no, no, no. It's... Let me tell you something. I looked it up and I listened today to people pronounce it. It's Aquila. Now, how many of you ladies want that name? Hey, here comes Aquila. But that was the name. Now, they had a church at their house and Priscilla and Aquila, 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 it's Aquila. I'm messing myself up. It's Aquila. 
It's not a killer. Jeff Wickwire, you've been on vacation too long. Wake up, son. Priscilla and Aquila. See, you got, you got to be here for the rare occasion that I make a major mistake. I mean, for minutes on end, I just kept on at it. Okay, so it's not a killer, it's Aquila. <sighs> Cindy, pray for me. There we go. Cindy's home not feeling well, really not feeling well, so pray for her, but pray for me. Anyway, Priscilla and Aquila modeled loyalty, the point of losing their own lives. Look what he said, they risked their lives for me. They risked their lives for me, Paul, to the point of losing their own lives. Their love was felt by all the churches of the Gentiles. So here in Priscilla and Aquila, you've got people who are willing to die to help Paul carry the gospel to the world. Where does that leave us? How many of us would risk our lives for somebody to carry the gospel to the world? Literally have your life on the line. That's what these little name mentions in Romans 16 are going to do for us. Every one of them shines a, a, a new kind of light on Christian character. So next, Paul mentions Epenetus or Eponetus. Verse 5 Greet my dear friend. I'm going with Eponetus who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Now, think of what Paul is doing here. Epenetus was Paul's first convert. It would make him very dear to the apostle. But Paul has seen a great revival in Asia where Epenetus lived and where he was saved, particularly at Ephesus. The fires had spread into Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, Hierapolis, and other cities, but he never, never forgot his first convert. Do you have a first convert? Have you ever led anybody to Christ? Have you got a first convert? Uh, Paul said, you know, he, he had one tens of thousands to Christ. But he said, you know what? I'll never forget Epenetus. I'll never forget him because he was the first convert in Asia. Epenetus is followed by Mary. Greet Mary, verse 6, who worked very hard for you. Now, Mary is so common. It's like Smith in our day, right? There, there were half a dozen Marys in the New Testament. The mother of the Lord, Mary, the mother of the Lord, Mother Mary, um, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, Mary, the wife of uh, Cleopas, uh, Mary, the mother of John Mark. But this Mary was an unknown saint at Rome. And there are also two forms of the word Mary in the New Testament. One is Miriam, which is the Jewish name, and the other is Maria, a Gentile name. Now, whoever this Mary was, she had worn herself out for the Christians in that city. The word for labor, what did he say about her? He said, greet Mary who worked very hard for you. All right? Now, the word for labor or work is the same as that used for the Lord Jesus when it says he was wearied with his journey and stopped by the well where he met the woman at the well and led her to himself. And it's the same word used of the disciples when after a fruitless night's fishing, they told the Lord, said, we have toiled all night. We have worked hard all night. And we have caught absolutely 
Nothing. We got nothing to show for it, but we've toiled all night. All right. Same Greek word about Mary. She had worked herself to the bone for the Christians. So she joins the ranks of the multitude who, for the cause of Christ and on behalf of his people, have worked their fingers to the bone and not grown weary or discouraged or faint in well-doing. So we talk a lot about burnout in our day. Let me tell you what, if you get with God every day, you'll burn on and you won't burn out. I want to burn on. I don't want to burn out. People burn out because they get disassociated or disconnected from their devotional time with God. If you get with God every day, you're going to burn on. And I want you to notice these people. These people were giving it all. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila were, were giving everything to risking their lives for the gospel. Okay? Now, here's Mary, worked her fingers to the bone and never complained. And Paul mentioned it. He noticed it. And if Paul noticed it, folks, do you think Jesus notices us? That's why Paul wrote, don't be weary in well-doing. For in due season, you will reap if you faint not. The word do there, I'm going on memory here, but it's idios, I do believe. And it means that if you don't faint in your labor, be not weary. That means faint, give up, put up the white flag, walk away, expire, quit. If you stay with the work of the Lord and you don't quit, do Idios means you're going to have a harvest uniquely yours. It's it's an individualistic word. It means you're going to have a harvest God custom designed just for you. Your harvest. You're going to see it. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to experience it. And it's going to be your harvest. Idios, your harvest. Just for you. Amen? So Mary didn't give up, and Paul the Apostle noticed it and said, wow, let me tell you about Mary. She worked hard and never gave up. Now next he addresses some relatives. Can you believe Paul's about to talk about some relatives? Look at verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives, who have been in prison with me. (laughs) Can you imagine being in prison with relatives, right, for the gospel? Uh, they are outstanding among the apostles, Paul goes on to say, and they were in Christ before I was. They were saved before me. Now, stop and think with me a minute. What was Paul like while they were saved and he wasn't saved yet? He was the terror of the church. And so don't you know that Andronicus and Junius, his relatives, um, before they were in prison with him for the gospel, when he was still persecuting the church, they had to go to church services and people had to say, hey, you know, how's that relative of yours, Saul? He's wreaking havoc on the church. What have you got to say about it? Now, folks, I want us to pay close attention to this now because you know they were approached about his fanatical persecution of the church because they were relations, all right? I don't know if they were nephews. I don't know if they were immediate relatives or distant relatives, but they were blood to Saul, who became Paul. And don't you know that they locked hands and locked faith and prayed for his conversion? 
All right? We're getting a little glimpse here. It's not just Stephen, when he was dying, said, Lord, don't hold this charge against them. Because Saul was standing there with Stephen's garments as he was the first martyr of the church being stoned to death. It wasn't just Stephen saying, don't hold this against them, Lord. Don't, don't charge them with this. But it was the behind-the-scenes people, Andronicus, Junius, family members, who were saying, God, save our relative Saul. He's wreaking havoc on the church. Please touch his soul. And we can imagine what it did to them when they heard, have you heard Saul has been saved? He was knocked to the ground. Jesus appeared to him. Can, can you believe it? And Andronicus and Junius got an incredible answer to their prayers. And they got to watch the spectacular results of his preaching, his pioneering, his writing. And Andronicus and Junius never, here's what they, they teach you and me. Don't ever give up when praying for family. Don't ever give up. Because you talk about somebody that looked impossible. You talk about somebody that looked like, hey, they are never going to be saved. Because Saul was anti-everything they were for. But God is bigger than the greatest persecutor. And he was knocked to the ground. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus who you persecute. What do you want me to do, Lord? And his life was changed on the spot. And Andronicus and Junius are behind the scenes as the prayer warriors. Isn't that powerful? That's powerful. Now next, we see that to be loved by Paul, to be counted as one of his helpers, was a great distinction. Verses 8 to 9. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And my dear friend, Stachys. Greet them. These unknown, never again mentioned, the names we just read are never again mentioned in the Bible, flash for a moment in the reflected light of Paul's greatness. Yet even the humblest of Paul's beloved helpers is praised and remembered. Folks, stop and think just for a minute. I want these names and what is being highlighted in the word to speak to us. Um, Paul never got elitist in his attitude towards people. He, never, he was never condescending. He never saw himself as better than you. He didn't do it. But he, he condescended in this way. No matter what station of life you were in, um, how little you were known, how in the shadows you were, if you came across Paul's path and he became your friend, then he remembered knowing thousands of people your name and says, say hello to them, my dear friends. He not only knew their name, but he knew where they were. They were in Rome. We should never be condescending to people. We should never have an attitude better than you. We should never be elitist. We should never have our nose up in the air like we're better than some folks. And, and um, uh, No, never, never, never. Because come on, everybody, we're all equal at the foot of Jesus' cross. Right? We're all equal at the foot of Jesus' cross. 
So here's Paul letting us know, hey, I'm saying hello to people you're never going to hear about again, but they mean something to me. Amen? Now next, verse 10, he says, greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. What does approved mean? The word approved refers to somebody who passes through a tough time, even a severe ordeal, and they emerge with their faith intact. Hence, they're genuine. That's how the early church could tell somebody was genuine. It wasn't just their their initial testimony of having been saved, but they would watch to see how do they pass through trials? Do they go through the trial and renounce Christ and walk away? Or do they go through it trusting Christ and come out on the other side? And if they do, they're approved. They're genuine. They're the real deal. Okay? Verses 10 to 11. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian. Here's again, my relative. Here's another relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Now, one commentator suggests that Aristobulus was a grandson of Herod the Great. Wow. Look who Paul was winning to Christ. The grandson of Herod the Great. And once again, Paul says hello to a relative. As to Narcissus, the thing of interest is that Paul was keenly aware that some in his his household were saved and some weren't. Where do you get that? Look at the verse again. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. And greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. In other words, some of them are and some of them aren't. How many of you can say tonight, I've got some family that's saved, and I've got some family, they are definitely not saved. Let's see, right? So notice, again, how Paul the Apostle knew the condition of so many things because he cared about people. He said, say hello to the saints that are in the house of Narcissus, and be sure to greet them. But those that aren't in Christ, he didn't, he didn't acknowledge them with a greeting. Now next... Paul again notes the hard labor of love on the part of some women. He said, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa. How many of you reckon they're sisters? Right? Tryphena, Tryphosa. Those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Paul has been accused of being a male chauvinist pig. I heard somebody say that one time on a radio show. Oh, Paul was, a, Paul was against women. Paul was not, a, was not a feminist. Paul was anti-woman, anti-female. Uh, as a matter of fact, he was a male chauvinist pig. I heard somebody say that. But I want you to note how he pays attention to the women that were laboring and he knew about them. And he complimented them. And he sent them a greeting and he acknowledged them. And like Jesus lifted women up to a level that they had never known, Paul lifted women up. He didn't put them down. He lifted women up. And here he is saying, let me talk to you about Tryphena and Tryphosa and Persis. They have worked very hard in the Lord. Honor them and recognize them. Now, Tryphena and Tryphosa were most likely sisters. Persis Persis is assumed to have been a more elderly sister in Christ because her labor is referred to in the past tense. 
It's worth noting that Paul was very careful to shun all appearance of evil. When speaking of those he loved in the Lord who were brothers, he called them my beloved when he was talking about brothers. But when speaking of sisters, you will note he uses the more formal expression, the beloved. He doesn't use a personal pronoun, my beloved, but he says, the beloved. I think that's a, a, an extinction, a, 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 a distinction worth making. Now, tonight on the radio, I got a call. I was doing a, To Every Man an Answer from five to six, and we were taking calls from around the country. And I got this call, and the call was this. I have some friends, a couple, who uh, profess Christ as their Savior, um, but they're living together, and they're not married. And he said, but they say, well, but we're living in purity. We're just living together, but we're not married. But they claim to be living in purity. What do you say about that? And I said, well, here's what I say about that. I'm going to tell you what God says about that, okay? The Bible says, avoid all appearance of evil. Come on, everybody. Does it say it? Yeah, it's in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. Avoid all appearance of evil. Don't give the enemy a chance to slander your name. So I said, here's what I would say about them. That they're not honoring Christ because they're putting their testimony on the line. He said, but they say they're living in purity. Well, they, they say what they want all day long. Nobody's going to believe it. Whether it's true or not, it's an appearance of evil. Okay? We've gotten away from this in so much of the church. I've had people stand right here in this altar and say to me, well, we love each other, and God's told us we're married, and that's why we're living together. And, and so you can't tell us we're not married. And I said, well, yeah, I can. You're not married. And then they say, but we're married in the eyes of God. And I said, no, you're not. You're not married in the eyes of God. God didn't tell you that. God did not tell you that. And they say, oh, yes, he did. We're deeply in love. We're together for life. And we don't need some piece of paper to prove it. I said, okay, let's have a talk. Because look what Jesus said about divorce. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm chasing a rabbit here, but it's a good rabbit. It's going to taste good. All right, here's the deal. When Jesus was talking about divorce in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, he said, whosoever puts away his wife, let him give her a writing or a certificate of divorce. Everybody say certificate. Now, we know that that's a legal document. Come on, everybody. It's a legal document, right? Um, Jesus didn't say, well, if you're going to divorce the woman you're with, just tell the God who told you you were married that you're done with it and walk away. But no, he said, give her a, a certificate of divorce, but do it if there has been sexual sin in the marriage. Now, he said, a certificate. That means when Jesus was talking about marriage, he assumed it was legal. Okay? Or he wouldn't have said certificate because he was talking about a legal 
divorce. Well, why would you need a legal divorce if it was not legal in the first place? Nobody went to Jesus and said, hey, we just feel like we're married, uh, so would you bless us? No. Where did Jesus do his first miracle? A wedding. A legal wedding. Now, Jeff, why are you going off on this? Because of what I just pointed out about Paul being so careful with an appearance of evil. See, somebody's always watching you. You say you're a Christian. You're always being watched. Most people won't read the Bible, but they're reading you. Pastor Jeff, that just puts a heavy heavy burden on me. Listen, just be a good Christian. That's all, you know, not perfect. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm just talking about being a good, real, genuine Christian because somebody's always reading you. They watch the way you go through trials. They watch the way you talk. They look at the habits of your life. They're watching you. You're the only Bible some people are ever going to read, and you're the only Jesus some people are ever going to see. So Paul says, you know, to the men, I'm going to say, my beloved. My, I, I love you guys. Love you guys. You know the way guys do. You know, love you, man. All right? But to the women, he didn't even use a personal pronoun. He just said, say hello to the beloved, the women. Amen, Pastor Jeff, this is good stuff. Preach it up. I Listen, we've got to get back to the Bible, everybody. we just got to get back to the Bible. Back to the Bible, right? Back to the Bible. And you say, well, that's just too heavy a burden for me. Well, you need to look at that because the Bible says in John, 1 John, his commandments are not grievous to those that really know him. So, yeah, sometimes it's a hassle, you know, you're in rush hour traffic and you got that Jesus bumper sticker on the back and somebody pulls in front of you and you want to act like somebody in the world and right when you get ready to scream or do whatever, you realize I got that Jesus bumper sticker on the back. I remember somebody gave me a one-way salute on the highway and went running, buzzing past me and I noticed a church bumper sticker on the back. And I said, God bless your pastor. Right? Because somebody's always reading you. All right, I'm going to move on. This is going over really big. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on. No, everybody, are you thankful God saved you and redeemed you? And yeah. Amen. Then he says, salute in verse 13, Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now, this Rufus may have been, this is interesting, he may have been the son of Simon the Cyrenian, who was the man who carried the cross for Christ. How do you know that? Because in Mark's gospel, he wrote his gospel for the Romans, Mark did. It was written to Gentiles, all right? And he describes Simon as the father of Alexander and Rufus. The likelihood being that this man was the Rufus known in the Roman church. So the reference Paul makes to Rufus' mother possibly refers to Paul's days in Antioch when perhaps he was a guest in their home. Now let's move along. Paul refers to a house church. Verse 14. Salute a syncretist, Phlegon, Hermas, Patrobus, 
Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Now that's a bunch of names. One group of saints met in the house of Priscilla and Aquila. Here is a second group meeting in a home. And finally, a last home group is mentioned in verse 15. Salute Philologus and Julia and Nereus and his sister and Olympus and all the saints that are with them. So he has mentioned three home churches. And this is why we meet in homes. This is why we have life groups. Because the early church, they met in homes all the time. And there's something about meeting in a home. I I received my calling to preach in a home meeting. I really did. It was a red hot, mighty, Holy Ghost home meeting. But it was in somebody's house. And I got, God's hand came upon me and he called me to preach in a home church. Amen. Good things happen in home churches. So he brings his salutations of the Roman Christians to a close with verse 15. Now, verse 16, he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, the instruction to greet one another with a holy kiss is repeated five times in the New Testament. In the East, a kiss was, it was and is a sign of respect and affection. It was the traditional oriental greeting. Now, we don't do holy kisses here. We think holy kisses would be dangerous. Please don't come up and holy kiss me. Right? And how many of you can say, I don't want anybody holy kissing me either. If you're you're next to your spouse, you can holy kiss one another. It stops there at turning point. All right? We believe in hearty handshakes. And when COVID's going around, we believe in hand bumps. All right? So it's a cultural thing. So don't take that literally and go doing it. You'll, you'll, you'll get reported to me. I don't have to come talk to you. I'm just kidding. Y'all don't need to look so serious. All right. But it's true. I, I would hear about it. Now next, Paul addresses what would it be. Now, folks, I want everybody to hone in now as we come to the close of chapter 16. Paul's addressing what was one of his lifelong concerns. I want you to read the next two words with me. False teachers. You've heard me harp on this a lot. You know why? I'm going to tell you straight up. I don't think there's ever been more false teaching in the world than there is now. And I've studied church history. I know there's always been church or false teaching, false prophets, false Christ and all that, but never like today. You know why? Social media. That's why. Social media has opened the door for false Christ, false prophets, false teachers to literally infiltrate uh, the church and proliferate around the world. They're false messages. They're everywhere. False teaching. Look what he says in verse 17. I urge you, brothers, to mark those who cause divisions and offenses. Now, how are they causing the divisions and the offenses, the next four words, contrary to the doctrine you have learned. So he's talking about false teachers who are causing division and offenses by what they're teaching. They're teaching, they're adding things to the word of God that are causing divisions and people to stumble over it. And what does he say to do with them? Say it with me. Avoid them. 
Well, Pastor Jeff, I can't do that because we're not supposed to judge people. Please get off of that. Please stop that. Please understand. Listen, the Bible says that the gift of discernment is a gift of the Spirit. Can you discern something without judging it? No. Because you're discerning something, you're making a judgment about whether or not it's right or wrong, good or bad, from God or from not from the devil or the flesh or the world. So, yes, we have to judge. Look what he's saying. Avoid them. Don't get around people who are teaching falsely or prophesying falsely. What does he say in verse 18? For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites they're out for themselves they're out for money they're out for something you've got that they want by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the minds of naive people now look what he says mark those that's from the greek word skopos we get scope all right how many of you guys have a rifle all right how many of you ever used a scope all right. How many of you ever used binoculars? All right. Same thing. How many of you have glasses? Same thing. All right. Scopos, it, it, it's the Greek word from which we get scope, to scope something out. Go scope it out. Go scope it out, we say. Go, go, go check out that church. What'd you do last Sunday? We scoped out a new church. All right. So, so it means to, to mark something, to scope it out to take aim at, to watch something closely. That's what you're to do with false teachers. Watch them closely. Uh, um, Take aim at them if they get in among you and they begin to teach false teaching. Scope them out. Beware of them. Avoid them. Divisions is the same word as discord, and it's translated seditions in Galatians 5.20, where it's listed as one of the works of the flesh, and where it keeps close company uh, with the word heresies. Now, we all know what offenses means, because I preach on it. Scandalon. It means a trap stick. A trap stick was a crooked stick on which a bait was fastened, which being struck by the animal springs the trap. Hence, anything that strikes or stumbles against somebody in their heart, spiritually, theologically, a stumbling block, a cause of stumbling, and it well describes the activities of a cultist. But here's the deal. We all know when I say Mormons, oh, that's a cult. Jehovah's Witnesses, there's a cult. But you know, there's cults within the church, cultic type teachings. The believer is to be absolutely on guard against teachers who come to divide and destroy the local church, to divide it. Heresy will make little progress in a church that's rooted in the apostles' doctrine mentioned in Acts 2.42. They met every day in the the, the temple, and every day they fed on the apostles' doctrine. What does doctrine mean? It means teaching. Here's what I say to people. If it's new, it's not true. Because you hear these people, well, I've got a new revelation. Well, I've got a new angle to the story of Christ. I've got something new to add to the Bible. Listen, folks, when, when the apostles closed out what we have as our Bible, when the last chapter was written, 
and what we call the canon, C-A-N-O-N, was closed and finished and complete. Revelation says at the very end, if you add to this book or take away from it, the curses that you've read about in the book of Revelation will be visited on you. But what we have is we have people that add to it or they twist it or they, 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 they read into it something that it doesn't say or they pull out of it or, or they add to it. They, they add um, chapters or verses or thoughts or ideas that aren't there. And, and I see Christians, gosh, uh, you know, listening to people and following people and watching people that I go, how are you not catching the falsehoods in, in, in the messages? You know, I can name names. I've never been a name namer, and I'm not going to do it. But I can't be there sitting next to you when you hear a false message. You've got to get so good at the word that you can spot a false message and go, wait a minute. Now, there are a lot of things that were said were right, but this one thing was wrong, and that one thing really matters. Okay? Because a good false teacher is not going to get up and give you a, a bunch of crazy gobbledygook that you immediately recognize as being out there. No, they're going to say a lot of things right. And then they're going to slip in one thing that if you go with it, if you believe it, it's going to change the doctrine of Christ. It's going to change the doctrine of Christianity. It's going to affect, it's going to sow into your seed and, 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 uh, and put down roots in you a belief about God, a belief about the Christian walk, a, a belief about what God will do for you or won't do for you or should do for you or ought to do for you or something about faith. Listen, uh, it's going to sow something into you that's a false idea. It's going to affect your walk. It's going to affect your faith. So Paul says, you better mark them and avoid them once you mark them. Don't get around them. Put some distance between you and them. Was that walking in love, Jeff? Yes, it's walking in love. Oh, you could cut the silence with a butter knife in here. And I know what you're thinking. I wish you'd give me some examples. I, you know, um, like I said, I'm not going to drop names, but there's a lot of false teaching out there. False representations of the Christian life. False teaching about what you can expect from God. And, and Christians just go plowing right through false teachers all the time and, and never stop and go, wait a minute, what am I listening to? Did, here's, here's my little rule of thumb, and I'm going to stop this. Here's my rule of thumb. When I hear a teaching... I go, all right, I know my New Testament. Here's the deal. Did Jesus say this in the Gospels? That's number one. Did Jesus teach it? Number two, did Paul, Peter, James, John, or Jude, those are the five epistle writers, that's everything you read after Acts. Did Paul, Peter, James, John, or Jude teach this? Is it in Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, Corinthians? Romans. Is it anywhere in there? Anywhere in there? Go look. Can I take this teaching and can I find it in my Bible? And if I can't, if it's true, it's not new. 
or if, if, if it's true, let me back up. If it's new, it's not true. I had it backward. And guess what? If it's, if it's old, it probably is true. Because the Bible is old but true. If it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. That Bible in your hands is your unfailing GPS. If it's new, it's probably not true. No new revelation, no new truth, no new teaching, nothing to add to the Bible. If it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it ain't new. All right, let's, let's finish. And verse 19, everyone has heard about your obedience. So I'm full of joy over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. There's no need to give ear to the evil teachings of the cultist or the false teacher. Instead, be wise in the good doctrine of the Christian faith. Verse 20, and the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Wow, did you catch that, everybody? When you are wise about what is good and you are innocent about what is evil, living the right kind of life will put Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. He's telling us the devil, the father of lies, lurks behind all the systems of deception that plague mankind. He's the author of all the various religious delusions with which fallen men clothe the nakedness of their souls. Yet God has Satan on a leash. He may be the instigator of strife and of division, but God is the God of peace. Paul assures the obedient that the God of peace will shortly bruise Satan under your feet. Let's jump to the next page, verse 22 to 20 through 23, 21 through 23. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought Paul wrote it. Well, there's evidence that Paul was afflicted with an oriental eye disease, ophthalmia, ophthalmia which brought an almost complete blindness. In another place, Paul said, do you see how large the letters are that I wrote uh, to you with? And then to the Galatians, he says this also. He says, I'm a witness and God is a witness that if you could have, you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me. So I've always wondered, was the thorn in the flesh his eyes? I've always wondered that. Don't know for sure, but... Anyway, I think it's a good case can be made. He says, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus sends you their greetings. So then Paul conveys these greetings from the saints of God, linking the family of faith together with the bonds of Christian love. Now I want us to stand together and let's all quote this next part out loud together, can we? This is a beautiful, beautiful benediction, and let's read it together. One, two, three. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known 
through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Amen. How many of you got blessed by going through Romans? Wasn't it a great, great series? Now, uh, I don't know where I'm going next. I may go to the Revelation. May go there. But we'll see. We'll see. Pray for me and pray for you that I do the right thing. Amen? But we're going to have a, I'll be here next Wednesday. We'll do something studying the Word of God. Because, folks, he who knows his Bible is the least likely to ever be deceived.